Welcome to Philly Prime. I'm Dave Schratweiser. Joining me again this week, my good friend and former colleague on the streets of Philadelphia in the TV world, CBS3 investigative reporter Walt Hunter, Emmy award-winning reporter, retired now but still with his finger on the pulse in Philadelphia. And uh, last week we talked about all the crime problems plaguing the city of Philadelphia, the murders, carjackings, other crimes that are going on. Um, And this week I think we're going to talk a little bit about what the police department is doing, what they could do, some new programs they have coming. Uh, Walt, welcome to the show, and let's start right off the bat here with um, Commissioner Outlaw. She drives the bus for the police department here and uh uh what's your thoughts two years into it and uh how are we moving ahead or um what do you think so far on the job she's done well she has been dealt a difficult hand dave uh, for sure uh, the combination as we mentioned in last week's show of covid impact on police manpower uh, on record numbers of police officers retiring, on new problems and ongoing problems recruiting police officers into the force. Uh, what's that translate into? That translates into reduced manpower. And so I think the commissioner, in addition to finding a, a frighteningly explosive crime problem afflicting the city, uh, also has found, uh, as have commissioners, by the way, before her, and yes. you and I mentioned that you have worked with a number of them, you gotta, you got to do what you can do with what you got. And I think right now uh, it's all about uh, deployment. It's all about uh, priorities. Uh, and then crossing the street to the prosecution side, uh, what has happened to the uh, COVID semi-paralyzed court system where you have uh, people waiting for trials, waiting for adjudication for months, probably years at this point. And there's a lot of problems there. Uh, First of all, those uh, who are responsible for some of the violence and the crimes uh, are not uh, getting the court proceedings and getting uh, the justice that goes forward there. But also, um, there are a lot of people who are awaiting, uh, and and many of them behind Mars, awaiting justice, who are not guilty of what they're doing, and they are being preliminarily uh, punished in a terrible way because the court system has simply stalled and has not moved forward. So not to make that entire long system look like it's too bad, but it is very bad, and Commissioner Outlaw is at uh, the top of that, along, of course, with the Uh, district attorney in trying to determine where do we go first? What do we do first? How do we make this work? And it begins, Dave, in a very basic way. I mean, it begins with uh, dialing 911, uh, 911 operators. We needed more of those. Uh, Then they look at their screens and the number of police cars out there uh, are not the number of cars and the number of officers that they would hope for the number of calls that they're getting. Uh, where does it go from there? Well, then you're making bigger decisions in terms of who gets what services. And it becomes a situation, Dave, I think, similar to what we would see at a mass casualty event, if you will, uh, called triage. Mm. Uh, You have to take care of the most serious problems first. Uh, The most seriously injured people are the first ones to get treatment and uh, go to the the hospital. Uh, 
taking that into the criminal realm, you have to decide where do we go first? Uh, how much effort can we put into a bunch of very important priorities? I mean, obviously, violent crime uh, is a crucial uh, problem. Uh, property crime is a problem. I mean, we can't have mm. uh, smash and grabs and situations like that because when you have an epidemic of those, uh, you're going to be losing retail occupancies. You're going to be losing stores. You're going to be losing people, tourists, visitors. So I don't envy the commissioner with the, the hand, as I said, that she has been dealt right now because it is a it is a complex problem. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later in the show. The link with the community is key. Uh, and there are uh, some very interesting and I would say very positive things happening at the community level that I think are getting attention in the news media, but probably should get more attention because the secret may be somewhere in that community police interaction. Yeah. And and let's be fair to the commissioner. She started off with a very rough first year after the George Floyd uh, murder in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, there were numerous protests in her first year. There were all kinds of complications with those that really uh, – put the spotlight on Philadelphia and not in a good way. Uh, and it was a rough beginning. Uh, she seems to have righted the ship here. Uh, she is stressing those community interactions and working with the community, uh, doing those kinds of things. Um, she could use more police officers uh, and a lot more help. Uh, she could also move a little faster, in my opinion, on some of these problems and maybe be a little more public about what it is the police department is doing to address these problems. That's my opinion. But she has done uh, of late a uh, pretty good job trying to bring all the forces together, federal authorities, working closer with the district attorney, I think, to build better cases because that's been Larry Krasner's uh, kind of complaint is that bring me good cases and the evidence to put people in jail, and we will. Uh, his complaint is that he wasn't getting those kind of cases. You might hear the opposite of that from the police department. But the bottom line here is everybody kind of has to work together here to get rid get these murders down. 562 last year. We don't want that again. Um, and the carjackings, out of control, that kind of stuff. Um, it, it does appear she's starting to do some things to address these issues and kind of push those numbers down and stop the number of victims, the people who are being victimized by these horrible crimes here in Philadelphia. Yes. And it comes down to, uh, you mentioned, you know, about getting the cases and, and getting them over to the DA's office and getting the justice and the convictions in a, in a prompt way. I mean, back to the days again, when you and I for decades were out on the streets, uh, finding eyewitnesses, who will cooperate, provide information, was difficult under the quote-unquote best of times when you and I were working in a time where crime is really reaching, if you will, epidemic proportions in the city. Finding an eyewitness uh, or eyewitnesses willing to go through an ever-expanding time frame now with COVID of having to come to court again and again and again and testify also witnesses obviously as they have always been whether it's an organized crime case or a murder case or anything in between being threatened finding an eyewitness getting a solid case just 
from the average investigator's point of view is more difficult than ever. So we can all remember, Dave, you and I, with detectives saying, uh, going to the district attorney, not just Krasner, but other district attorneys and saying, look, this is the best I can do. Yeah. Um, it, it is it is worth noting that we are not living in a, uh, you know, beautiful CSI world where everything is totally taken care of by a DNA test or a set of latent fingerprints or some high-tech piece of evidence. Uh, the cases that are coming to the courts, legitimate cases in, in so many times, are not going to be if you will, completely bulletproof cases from the point of view of a prosecutor. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to find an eyewitness. You don't always have video of a crime being committed. There's not always a DNA aha fingerprint or test. Sometimes the cases border on circumstantial. That's not to say that we should proceed if it and injustice is afoot, and we're charging the wrong person. I'm not saying that. And but that's, that's the fine line here we're talking about. Larry Krasner wants those kind of slam dunk investigations to proceed forward and he will hesitate or tell the detectives to go back and continue digging if it's not there so he's using that discretion there to do that that's drawn a lot of complaints there are people out on bail low that start high and then somehow get reduced and get out that's drawing a lot of complaints there's no doubt there's some heat directed at the district attorney here. There's some heat directed at the commissioner here. There's some heat directed at politicians in this city who maybe didn't move fast enough when these things are happening. And your point is a good one. There's not always DNA. There's not always video. There's not always an eyewitness. There aren't those kind of things. And the police department is endeavoring to build better cases. And whether they like it or not, they have to. Or this guy's not going to prosecute them. And he, he has... His point of view, the commissioner has her point of view. Hopefully the two of them meet and the cases get made and these people who are committing these crimes get brought to justice. Yeah, it's it's a case of mutual understanding. It's like that song, Meet Me in the Middle. Right. Uh, the uh, investigators, uh, and they do, uh, understand that the cases do have to be stronger than ever. Uh, they're we're always, as you and I both know, a percentage of, well, let's just, you know, throw the evidence against the wall and we'll see what, what sticks. Uh, that's not going to come anywhere close anymore. And in fairness, it shouldn't. Uh, I mean, you do need to have strong evidence. We can't. It's an atrocity to put away an innocent Absolutely. person even, even one. So that's where the police move toward the center. But from the prosecutor's point of view, yes. And again, I have to say that this predated because I can remember many of these conversations going back over many DAs and many commissioners that the police would always say, oh, my God, they want they want five eyewitnesses, a confession, you know, a DNA test and whatever. And quite honestly, even back then, juries do want that even more than ever. They see these high tech crime shows on television. Mm -hmm. uh, they expect that when they come into a courtroom that you're going to roll out all this aha evidence. And fact of the matter is most cases are not aha cases. They yeah. swing on a, a series of things. And so that's where the prosecutors need to, to give to and to say, okay, in, in the sake of justice, you have this, this, and this, we do believe this person did this crime. Let's meet in the middle and get an outcome that both protects the, yeah. the person who's being charged, but also, but also protects 
the people in case this person is, in fact, a violent criminal and needs to be incarcerated. And the jurors that's, are saying, why don't you have that? And I think that's kind of his question. Why don't you have it? And how hard did you try to get it? That kind of thing. I will assure you the police department and detectives who work on these cases put in uh, some really tough hours and long days trying to build that evidence, that kind of thing. And, and I think that's kind of where the animosity is between the police department and district attorney's office. But it does appear to be getting better. Hopefully it gets better a lot quicker. I want to ask you, Walt, um, the carjacking thing last year, 800-something carjackings, uh, when I was still working at Fox back in the spring of 2021, they were at three or 400 in the spring. And I think I did four or five stories on carjackings, people getting boosted out of their cars right in front of their homes. Uh, I, I did a story on a father. His family was inside his house. Three guys pulled up in a car, put a gun to his head, yanked him out of his car and took off in his car. Um, how come we don't see what we used to see under former commissioners? So I'll mention Commissioner Timoney, uh, Commissioner Johnson, uh, Commissioner Ramsey, Commissioner Ross. When something, a, a wave of crime like carjacking, violent carjackings like this were occurring, We'd see more highway patrol, more task force, more flooding of neighborhoods, that kind of thing by police where these things were happening. It just seemed to me we didn't see that here at the beginning. At the end of the year, we saw a whole tip sheet come out with all the things the police department is doing, but we're at seven or 800 carjackings by then. I guess the question is, do you think we ought to see these kind of things earlier in the game and come out and be public about them so the public knows you're doing something about it? Well, it gets back to what we mentioned in our earlier show, which is the visible presence of police on the streets, in neighborhoods, and again, all over the city, not just Center City, mm -hmm. all over the city. And uh, Dave, my perception from the outside, reading the numbers of officers that are available, uh, is that the ability of the department to laser focus on, as you say, carjackings or if we had uh, a problem with burglaries or robberies in another neighborhood uh, they could laser focus on that bring in both uniformed and undercover officers and and the problem got attention didn't necessarily go away but it, it got attention i don't think given the current recruiting situation the current manpower situation and the current situation of officers who are planning to retire i just don't think that they have the luxury of having enough people to do this and still answer the minute by minute calls that are coming in. I honestly think a lot of it simply comes down to manpower. I think if we had another 500, 600 officers to bring us up to speed on where the department needs to be, bring the city up to speed, uh, that some of these mandates, some of these priorities are now actually luxuries, if you will, would become then priorities again, and we would be able to do that. So I, I don't know as it was a conscious decision or apt or as might be absence of decision that didn't do that initially. I just think the, the people are just not there to do what needs to be done. And that's, then we're getting into a much larger question yeah. of what do we what do we do to, to change that? What do we do to bring more people into the police department? Yeah. Well, let, let's talk uh, about yeah, something. I, not, go, go. Let's talk yeah, about something. I'm not saying I want to you know, create a police state or something. No, 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 no. I understand what you're saying. Let, but let's talk about something they are doing in a positive way. Shootings, as you and I both know, were way, way, way up last year through the ceiling. 
uh, the, yep. the number of shooting incidents, the number of shooting victims, more women, more children getting shot. We had a three-year-old shot uh, during an argument between two tow truck drivers the other night. Uh, you know, ridiculous. The commissioner, with the help of uh, Chief Frank Van Orr, Deputy Commissioner Ben Nash, and Captain John Walker, you and I both know about it. They haven't announced it publicly, but we're going to talk about it right here, has a new shooting, non-fatal shooting team in place. It's uh, Captain Walker at the top, four lieutenants assigned, 40 detectives now that will hit the ground running on shootings when they occur in the city. And they think they're already at 25 since that group quietly started working last week. I think this is a great move in a positive direction. And these detectives will be out there gathering the surveillance video we talked about, picking up the shell casings, possibly trying to get DNA off the shell casings the DNA that we're talking about, looking for witnesses uh, in a much faster fashion than they were. This is a really good, in my mind, at least on paper right now, positive move with the personnel you're talking about to tamp down on these shootings, which, again, can then lead to murders when we get into that retaliatory thing we talked about later. Your thoughts on this move by the department? Yeah, I think it's a wonderful move. Kudos to uh, Commissioner Nash and Chief Venor, but especially to Captain Walker. Uh, the statistics, if you look district to district up in the 15th district, which until he took command of this new unit, he commanded the 15th district, their statistics also trended dramatically uh, in the right direction under Commander Walker in the 15th. Uh, and he had prior success in Southwest detectives. He had prior success commanding the South Street detail uh, going back a couple of decades. So uh, the captain at the head of this new initiative is someone with proven experience in knocking down uh, crime numbers and doing it in an effective, efficient way. And I think it this is a great example. I think kudos to the commissioner as well, uh, Commissioner Outlaw, that this is the type of effective, organized, proactive, investigative action that will really make a difference. My concerns, as I just expressed to you at some length, were getting the number of people to do a number of these types of initiatives that can really, really be effective. Again, mm. it's not an overwhelming number of the population. It's a tiny percentage of the population here, a group of criminals yeah. that can create all these problems. And a laser focus of the right people in the right places doing the right things consistently and have a huge impact i i'm just uh, some well, let actually me, let to, me to interrupt you right there hold hold your point for a second and let me just make this point these are top talented people working on this not in, not just chief van or deputy commissioner nash captain john walker but some top lieutenants pat doherty from central detectives a lieutenant dennis rosenbaum from northeast philadelphia lieutenant brockenborough from east division these are guys who have seen it all when it comes to shootings and violence in the city. And they're at the top of this with these 40 detectives going to try and make this work to the best possible and drive those shootings down and drive the arrests up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, the, the Philadelphia Center for Gun Violence reporting, which is our old friend Jim McMillan, hmm. formerly of the Daily News, uh, they put out, and I'm sure you read it, it's a weekly report on crime and on a lot of other aspects. And we'll get into some of them in a minute about the community uh, battling back. But just this morning, they do a Wednesday post. Uh, 
from their records. People shot during a seven-day period. It ended at midnight this past Sunday. was one of the lowest weekly totals of shooting recorded during the past year. So, I mean, that's really impressive. Year-to-date homicides in Philly through last night, uh, last night a 15% decrease versus the same period last year. So there are minor statistical indications right now that some of this tide is beginning, if not to turn, at least to ebb down a little bit in terms of where we're going. And I agree. I think these new units uh, are a great idea. And there's probably room you and I could pull a half dozen other areas off the top of our heads mm. uh, where you could get an organization like the one being run by Captain Walker intra department and really have a huge, a huge impact out there. Yeah. And there's a couple of other things they're doing now. They're doing some new DNA work. Um, on shell casings at crime scenes. They're trying to lift DNA off those shell casings to give the district attorney the DNA that he wants to prove these cases in court. Uh, in fact, I think they did it on one case recently where, where there was a shooting or a, and uh, the suspect's gun and the shell casings were picked up and the shell casings led to some other crimes. In addition, there's a new, I'll call it co-responders uh, program going on where healthcare professionals and people trained uh, to deal with folks who maybe have mental, uh, mentally, uh, maybe mentally ill on a crime scene situation, to to as we had in a situation uh, more than a year ago, a young man lost his life when police responded to the scene, and out came a big knife, and he was screaming and hollering and running around. They'd been called out there two or three times before, and there was a call by the community to have mental health professionals respond to a scene like that. And that is going on now at the Philadelphia Police Department at sort of a, sort of a co-responder program where they're going to go out to certain crimes with the police and attempt to kind of de-escalate the situation down to a situation where it doesn't explode into violence and or police having to take action in a violent fashion against somebody who could be violent to the community. Yep. And the absence, and I will say the word absence with a capital A, the absence of an effective, efficient, accessible, cost-reasonable health care system, mental health care system in this country, uh, is nothing less than a disgrace. Uh, it is a total abdication, I think, of responsibility to the people in this country that people with serious or, or relatively minor but growing mental health issues simply do not have a window, a portal into areas where they can get help. And these problems don't go away. They fester, they explode. And particularly if you are not on the highest socioeconomic rung of the ladder, uh, you are left in most cases, trying to care for a loved one who desperately needs help. And this goes all the way down to teenage years. And it's just not there. And that's a huge social problem that will go well beyond the battery length of any of our conversations here. Yeah. But at the bottom line, Dave, is too often it comes down to a moment uh, where there is a police officer or officers called and a person in the throes of a mental health crisis and in those terrible seconds and moments awful outcomes and it's i'm not being a, a philosophical anything here i'm just saying that's a reflection of a country and a healthcare system that simply has not and is not and shows no signs of addressing 
the just overwhelming problem yeah. that mental health care is for so many families in so many different areas. We talked about uh, communities and stuff like that. City Council approved a lot of money for some more community programs. Some of the uh, uh, police officials in the city have uh, seen it upon themselves or taken it upon themselves to keep uh, rec centers open longer out in the southwest and a couple of other areas around the city to give kids a, a place to go, not be on the street, not to get into problems, that kind of thing. We clearly need more of that. Uh, city Council has approved money for more of that. The department has money now for more of that kind of thing. Uh, they were given money to use uh, for to purchase and equip people with more tasers, the police department, so it doesn't come down to deadly force in situations like that. Some of those things are being addressed, but the community element of it, um, if you listen to the guys who've been around a long time, that has to be addressed, that uh, it looks like, at least at this point, is starting to be addressed, and that can only have positive results. Dave, there's a model, and again, we mentioned it in last week's show, but it, let me dive just a little deeper into it, uh, of community involvement. Uh, the House of Emoja in West Philadelphia uh, dates back 50 years, mm -hmm. almost. In 1974, again, from the late 60s to the early 70s, every year in this city, every year, we had 100-plus gang murders. Uh, the Klang Gang, Brickyard Gang in Germantown, 13th and South Gang. I, I used to know most of the names because they would be in the headlines almost every week here. A hundred murders a year, nonstop. The House of Emoja, uh, the late David Fatah, Sister Falaka Fatah founded this organization. And in 1974, they did basically a, a handshake agreement, a ceasefire agreement between 30, three zero street gangs in the city of Philadelphia. And within a couple of years, that 100 gang murders a year dropped to zero. Mm. Now, that was in the era of Frank Rizzo as police commissioner and mayor. Uh, obviously, policing was incredibly different then. Obviously, the temperature of police community relations were incredibly different then. But still, the House of Emoja had that impact. They are reaching forward again. In fact, they just had a press conference in November with Return Peace in the Streets, where they are doing additional community outreach here. Uh, Bilal Quayum, who is one of our favorite uh, community activists, who yes. you and I have interviewed many, many times, a man of peace and I would dare say wisdom. And at the top of uh, his game, always. Always. And he is working with them. This is the kind of community outreach. And let me just say, if if it worked in the environment of the late 60s and early 70s here, the police community environment, it could work, I think, even more effectively now if we can get those two pieces together. Uh, the community outreach, the community involvement, uh, groups like House of Emoja, uh, their efforts called Return Peace, uh, Return to Peace in the Streets, so they had, a, as I say, a press conference on it in, in November. Uh, that's where it, it has to be as well. Uh, that's where it has to happen. And by the way, it's going to be more difficult yeah. because as we talked about in the last show, uh, the, the cause of these murders, the motives for these murders, it's not as easily definable as going up to the head of this gang or that gang and saying, hey, get your, get your gang to stop. Yeah. Th this is more complicated, but it's a great, it's 50 years old, but it's current, it's moving, and it is a model, and they are a group that I think 
really needs to have a lot of more attention given to them and, and as much support as we possibly can. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get away from uh, this show without talking about the violence directed at cops in the last couple of weeks. Um, you and I went through a period uh, under Commissioner Ramsey where eight police officers were killed in a two, two and a half year period. It was uh, one of the most um, horrific moments uh, in my reporting career to watch uh, what was going on in this city. And um, we had two police officers murdered in New York, the NYPD responding to a domestic situation that turned deadly for two young police officers, really young, up-and-coming guys who wanted to do more for their community. Uh, we had police officers shot in Houston, uh, another police officer killed in Texas, I believe. We had a situation a couple of weeks ago here in Philadelphia where police chased a suspect. He fired numerous shots at police. Police did not fire back, exercised an enormous amount of restraint, and made an arrest. But uh, it is a difficult job being a police officer on the streets of Philadelphia or any other major city or town around the country. But I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, say that my heart and my thoughts and prayers go out to the police who do this kind of every single day of the week. And I know Commissioner Outlaw was outraged by the violence going on around across the country and uh, FOP President John McNesby as well. So uh, uh, let's kind of wrap this up by giving some thoughts about you know, how the police are doing what they're doing these days in terms of doing their job the best to their ability. Dave, I remember standing next to you in a lot of cases, shoulder to shoulder at the Basilica and at other venues as farewells were sounded, taps, being at cemeteries, talking to the loved ones of officers who were murdered and whether it was Pat McDonald, John Pulowski, Isabel Nazario. It was, I agree with you, in a 45-year professional career, that time was probably, without question, the worst that I could ever imagine to this, to this day, uh, just being in the vicinity of the Basilica uh, gives me great sadness because, I'm, sadly, that I have associated that with just so many, so many hours, hours, hours of mourning mm. because there were so many funerals and so many goodbyes to so many good officers. Um, it has never been more dangerous. As we say, those manpower statistics that we were talking about from a civilian point of view obviously count much more from a police point of view. When you're racing around without enough resources trying to answer call after call by definition too often you're going to find yourself the first one there or by yourself for a period of time without a backup having to make decisions uh, that could cost you your life not to mention the possibility uh you know of an ambush uh, situation uh, it is it has never been scarier and, and the violence that we have talked about, you're right, during most of these shows, we've talked about it from the point of view of the residents of Philadelphia. The threat to the individual officer has never been higher. And to this day, I check my emails in the morning or pop on the morning news, and I just, just hope and pray that it has been a night where no one 
in law enforcement. And I include, I have family members in law mm -hmm. enforcement, so full transparency on that one, uh, has been in any way hurt uh, or God forbid worse on, on what's happening. But it is, it is if, if ever we were grateful for the sacrifices uh, that these officers and investigators make in so many ways, we should be more grateful to them now because it has never been more frightening. Amen. Walter, uh, been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, your years of experience, uh, you astound me uh, with your knowledge and uh, your ability to keep current on all these things, even though we're not working full time anymore. Uh, and I do appreciate your friendship. I did appreciate you as a colleague, and I do appreciate you continuing as a colleague on shows like this. So thanks for coming on the show. It was great to have you on. Dave, it's always an honor to be with you, my brother. Take care. All right, Walter, thanks again. Thanks to Walt Hunter, CBS3 Emmy Award-winning investigative reporter. Thanks for joining the Philly Prime Podcast. Folks, thanks for listening. Hope we touched on some issues you wanted to talk about and listen to, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Thanks for joining us.